New York Times columnist David French. Please, y'all, seriously? And Eric Metaxas. Jane, you ignorant slut. All the way back in 2020 had an incredible debate about whether or not Christians should vote for Donald Trump. Donald, you're the most amazing guy. Well, let's just say that the debate has not aged well for David French. And, and, and Joan, Shingang, I'm going to pronounce Shanga So I thought it was important to go back and take a look so that we can ask that question moving forward in 2024. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. If you have yet to see our brand new trailer for the film Fatherless that showcases the breakdown of the nuclear family, then you need to do so. And you can do so by signing up for our newsletter. Not only by signing up for the newsletter will you get a host of great extra content that is for our subscribers only, but you'll also get access to the trailer at least as it sits in its present state because we're right now in production of this film. And by accessing this trailer, you can also find ways to help support this film so that we can bring this much needed project to market. I believe it is the linchpin for changing the future of America. If we can fix the fatherless epidemic in America, we can fix America and we need your help to do that. So sign up for the newsletter today. You can do that by going to the link on the screen or going to the description of this podcast where you'll find a link tree link that gives you the ability to interact with a bunch of different content from IndieThinker, but most of all, sign up for our newsletter. Abraham Kuyper said, there is no square inch under heaven in which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not shout mine. Now, the idea there is that if you're going to truly be a follower of Jesus, then you should let his teaching infiltrate in every area of your life. And in fact, the atheist and the agnostic is correct in calling the Christian a hypocrite if you're willing to compartmentalize your life and say, well, this part of my life is religious, but not this part. And that's why Christians cannot afford to say that I'm not political or I'm just gospel centric, but I don't let politics, you know, invade into my understanding of who God is and what I talk about. Of course, that's because politics is merely an expression of values for the individual or a society. And our politics does impact people in society in the way in which they live. So in every sense of the word, you cannot be a Christian and not be political. You must be willing to allow Jesus to invade every aspect of your life, including the realm of the political. Now, both parties in the debate today that I'm going to show you believe this premise. Author Eric Metaxas and journalist David French agree emphatically on that premise, but they have major disagreements on the conclusions that you draw when you do that. So having the benefit of hindsight, we're going to take a look back at a debate that took place in 2020, I believe in October, where David French is arguing for the negative that you cannot vote for Donald Trump if you're a Christian, and Eric Metaxas will be taking the affirmative. Well, thank you all very much for uh, hosting me. This is the first ever social distance sellout crowd I've ever seen. And I gotta say, it's a little depressing, but I'm very, very thankful that everybody is here. Um, let, me, let me begin with a little walk back into the not so distant past that as I can see a few faces in the crowd will probably remember, not the students, but uh, some of the professors and administrators. And that walk back into the not so distant past is the year 1998. 
Those of you who remember that year will remember it's notable for a couple of things. The American economy was booming, job creation and, job and, and economic growth during the Clinton years were at an incredible rate. They were the, most, the highest rate in modern times, uh, far higher than, for example, the Trump administration before the pandemic, far higher than the Obama administration, far higher than the Bush administration. The Cold War was over, there was peace, there was prosperity. But the president was gravely morally deficient in many ways gravely morally deficient. He had an affair with an intern in the White House, lied about it under oath, tried to obstruct justice about this affair. So what were we going to do about it as a Christian people? As a Christian people, how are we going to use our moral voice, our moral witness to the world? Well, one of the ways that we used our moral voice and our moral witnesses, we loudly proclaimed the importance of character and leaders. And we didn't just do it as a matter of political expediency, we tied it to scripture and to deep theological truth. I'm sure there are members of the Southern Baptist Convention in this room and members of the, and you might remember that in 1998, the Southern Baptist Convention introduced a resolution on the character of public officials. And one of the clauses in that resolution said that tolerance of serious wrong by public officials sears the conscience of a culture. It spawns immorality and surely will result in God's judgment. A generation of white evangelicals enthusiastically looked at that and said, amen, brother. Absolutely, this is absolute common sense. A shorthand version of this is character is destiny. And for a very long time, one of the good things about the conservative evangelical movement is if you polled conservative evangelicals and you polled the nation, every strand or strain of religion or non-religion, you know the community of people who are most likely to say that character mattered in government and in government officials, that was going to be American evangelicals. Currently, American evangelicals are now, according to the most recent polls, the community of people least likely to say that character matters in government. What happened? Was it a theological revolution? Was it a new reading of scripture accompanied by copious apologies to Bill Clinton? As Al Mohler promised, it's, he said if he ever supported Donald Trump, he'd apologize to Bill Clinton. No, it was nothing like that. It was nothing like that. It turned out, y'all, that the commitment to character and leadership, which was grounded in truth in 1998, was grounded in something else that was even more powerful than truth to an awful lot of Christians, and that was partisanship. When it came time to carry a cost to a commitment of character, Christian conservatives deserted the field. Now, the problem was when they deserted the field, they didn't change the underlying theological truths that they articulated in 1998. Indeed, they could not change the underlying theological truths in 1998 because those truths weren't up to them. And some of the core truths here, if you're gonna boil down what we're talking about, it is character matters, not only does character matters, but in many ways, character is destiny. And look, if you look at the United States of America right now, things are not good. On almost every level, things are not good. We, the people of Jesus Christ, helped sow the wind by bringing it using the, an awesome power of the most powerful faction of the most powerful political party in the world to bring Donald Trump into the office of the President of the United States, a man who is manifestly cruel, 
a man who is manifestly ignorant, a man who is manifestly a liar, a man who is manifestly incompetent, and a man who manifestly hates many of his fellow citizens, brought him into the most powerful office in the land, and exactly what you would expect has happened. And guess what? Probably between 70 and 80% of people, white evangelicals in this country, will do it again, and I am very sorry that it's about to happen. Now, French essentially here is arguing that conservative Christians in particular have quit caring about character, and now all they're doing is voting for partisanship because they want to vote for Trump that they've thrown their morality out the window and all they care about now is the fact that Donald Trump is a puncher and really Christians down deep inside, they're just a bunch of evil sons of guns and they just always wanted to punch people and now they get the opportunity to do it through their, their kind of proxy, uh, their, their idol Donald Trump. Now, forgive me if I think that that's totally ludicrous and actually suggest rather that what conservative Christians are doing in the present, especially when they vote for Donald Trump, is actually being nuanced. They're actually seeing the difference between character flaws, which Donald Trump has a bajillion of them, and we're seeing the difference between that and perhaps like murdering babies, right? So yeah, French wanted to talk about Bill Clinton here. So Bill Clinton was a philanderer. Now the difference between Bill Clinton is that Bill Clinton was a philanderer in office, whereas Donald Trump, last I checked, wasn't having sex with prostitutes and paying them off or porn stars while he was in the White House as the president. This is something that took place, what, like 15 years ago? When, by the way, Donald Trump was a Democrat. Thank God he's been saved since then. Uh, but the reality is, jokes aside, that, that when Christians say that we're willing to push aside the character, character defects of a man uh, to, in, to in order to I guess, create a hierarchy of morality, what they're actually doing is that saying that there are some things that are more important than other things. Now, isn't that true? Isn't that something that Christians should believe? And if they truly are believers that a, a life is a life from conception, then when we're talking about a group of political people who want to even murder babies all the way up to the third trimester, many of them, uh, then aren't we logically consistent by saying, hey, we can maybe push aside the moral indiscretions of a man in the past and the way in which he talks to people in the present, and we can say, hey, it's worth saving lives, so let's, let's rally around this guy? Now, not to mention, not only is Donald Trump responsible for doing that literally by the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but he's, he's responsible for doing that in the tens of thousands. Not too long ago, Fox reported that an estimated 30,000 babies were saved since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, last I checked, one is a lot, and it was during COVID for liberals and Democrats. Um, so 30,000 babies is much more than one, and that's how many Donald Trump potentially was responsible, not single-handedly, obviously, but responsible for, for helping save because he instituted Supreme Court justices that were vastly more conservative than before. So forgive me for seeing the difference between apples and oranges and recognizing it very clearly here. Now, I do want to just say one last thing about French's argument here. Close your eyes for a moment, and all the negative things that French says about Donald Trump could go for Biden and way more. Now, of course, French didn't know this in 2020. 
And that's kind of one of the things about this debate that's a little bit frustrating, is that French is almost in a winning position from the beginning because he gets to create a unicorn called Joe Biden, who has never been the president before, and kind of wish cast into this magic unicorn called Joe Biden. But here, in 2024, in the land of reality, where leprechauns and unicorns and the LGBTQ element of P people don't get to decide what gender they are, um, uh, or excuse me, uh, to be correct, they don't get to decide what biological sex they are based upon whatever they feel their gender is. Um, in the real world, the truth is, is that Biden has been the worst president in my lifetime, if not Ever. Now we'll get into this just a little bit more, but the reality is, is that this didn't age well for French because Biden has been destructive in almost every single front you can think of. So, so much for your moral support of a guy like Biden who's way less radical than some of his leftist counterparts. Uh, we know better now. Needless to say, French should have known better then based upon what was happening and taken the side of Eric Metaxas, but he didn't. So next we're going to hear from Eric Metaxas and see what he has to say about Donald Trump. David, um, thanks for, for all you say. I disagree with some of the things you say. Um, I agree with a number of the things you say. Uh, the reason we're here tonight, and I want to thank John Brown University, is because we all know that the answer to everything is Jesus. We, we know that. And the difficulty, of course, is trying to figure out what that means in every different circumstance. And the Trump situation is one of the most complicated. Um, I come at it from a, from a very strange position, in a way, because I grew up in Queens, New York, which is where Trump uh, is from, so I feel like I understand the way he communicates, kind of like he's, he's, he's a street communicator on some level. Um, Martin Luther, about whom I've written a book, was a lot like that too, and had a lot of people who criticized him for it, R rightly, rightly. Um, but uh, part of my background also is that my parents are immigrants. My dad came from Greece in the mid-50s, my mom came from Germany, and my whole life I have seen them struggle as outsiders uh, with accents uh, and so I, I get that but they raised me to love America why because with all its faults there was no other place in the world where they could find the opportunity and the freedom that they did here and they raised me to love this country not because it was perfect, but because it gave the greatest opportunity to the most people. So when we're talking about somebody like Donald Trump, even if everything David said was, were true, and I wouldn't say that it is, but even if it were, I would say, well, you have to deal with the, the issue that a few years ago you had to either go for Trump or you had to go for Hillary Clinton. This time you have to go uh, for Trump or whoever is going to be president on the other side. I think Joe Biden is kind of like a cardboard cutout, and I don't know what's going to happen if he were to be elected, which is one reason that I would be scared to death if he were elected. If the Joe Biden of 20 years ago were elected, that would be one thing. But I think we have to be fair and say that whatever we say about anybody, it's a choice between, between two people. Um, 
I don't agree that uh, Trump is cruel. Uh, I don't agree that uh, he's racist. I don't agree, you know, listen, I wrote a 300-page book praising the man who abolished the slave trade in the British Empire. I'm on the record, okay, as believing that your Christian faith would lead you uh, not to be racist and to fight racism. Uh, I wrote a 600-page book on Bonhoeffer, uh, which the central point of it is almost that Jesus was uh, not uh, a white uh, Aryan, but a Jew. Uh, and I think these things are complicated, but where we are right now is we have a choice between Donald Trump, whatever you think of him, and a Democratic Party that has drifted so far from where it was that most Democrats I know feel the party has left them. In other words, if we're talking about Joe Biden 20 years ago or 30 years ago, a lot of people would say, look, he's a centrist, he's a... But today, the Democratic Party in a, in a funny way, because of Trump, Trump, I think, drives people crazy and he gets them to say things that they wouldn't normally say, but they have gotten in bed with cultural Marxists, with people who will use your Christian faith and use groups who believe in virtue, but they themselves don't believe in God or in any moral order. They believe in one thing, it's called power. And they believe that doing and saying anything, lying, twisting things, whatever you need to do to get power is worth it, and they will and are doing that. And when they get power, uh, they're not going to let you have forums like this, because they don't want people to hear both sides of a complicated story. Let me say something else. If somebody says they're against racism, I want to ask you, I know why I'm against it. Why are you against it? There's only one reason that I could know to be against racism. is because God says it's wrong. Because God in the Bible says we are all made in his image. We are all equal in his sight. He died for every one of us equally. He's no respecter of persons. That's from the Bible. If you ask an atheist, if you, if you ask a cultural Marxist, most of the Antifa folks, most of the BLM folks are cultural Marxists who don't believe any of the things that we who disagree up here believe in the dignity of the individual, the sanctity of the individual, that character counts. We can talk about the details, but we believe those things. They don't. And today's Democratic Party has been so utterly, radically hijacked by th those folks that I'm here to tell you, most of you are very young, I've seen a lot of stuff in my time. I have never, ever dreamt that one of our major political parties could be taken over by people like this. 
I love Eric's argument at the front here. I'll just be honest with you. Obviously, there's a favorite I have in this race, but it is because I believe he has the better argument. Eric Metaxas says that we don't root for America because it's perfect. We root for it because it is the best opportunity that people have to achieve freedom and perhaps the life that God intended for them to have um, on this earth. And I absolutely 100% agree with that. I don't I think if you disagree with that, you probably haven't been to other countries. And I'm not saying there aren't other countries that do things better than us. I'm saying that as an aggregate, America is the best thing to happen to the world and one of the most important empires to ever exist in the history of the world. And it has provided prosperity for millions of people. Now, ultimately, Metaxas is just using this argument as a proxy for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is obviously not perfect, but we have to be more pragmatic in our approach when we talk about who we're voting for. So harsh speech can be a little bit subjective, David French, and so we probably need a little bit better of an objective metric in order to figure out who we're going to vote for. Furthermore, pragmatically speaking, I'll just be honest with you, and maybe this is true of you. I can't think of a single individual in my, what, like 22 years, maybe 24 years of voting I can't think of a single individual that I actually voted for because I was like, I want this person to win because they're the best person in America to to be the president. Almost every single time I voted for anybody, I was voting against the other guy. I was just like, and it's really sad, right, in America that we can't come up with better people than this, than, than just to say, I can't imagine our country being led by that individual, so I'm forced to vote for this other person, is almost the way I believe the vast majority of Christians voted for Trump in 2016, and then maybe less, uh, to a lesser degree, in 2020. Why? Because Trump actually proved that he's not that bad on policy. In fact, I don't remember a single war that Trump got the world into or that was going on during the, the Trump administration, but now we've got war in Israel and we've got war in the Ukraine, and both of those were preceded by things that, that Joe Biden did. Now, again, French didn't know this at the time, but the Afghanistan withdrawal was what preceded the, the attack in Ukraine and the war that's t- still ongoing there. And, of course, the giving of, of millions of dollars to Iran was what preceded the attack on Israel, where Hamas has been known to be funded by Hezbollah in Iran. So all of this is, is clearly things that we need to think about when we're, when we're looking at people pragmatically. So the pragmatic approach is what I think Eric is trying to argue for here, and I think it's really important that we, that we think about political candidates from this approach. Let's just look at policies, let's push personality to the side, let's look at policies, and then let's just be really honest. And of course, Eric here really clearly illustrates that the Democratic Party has been hell on minority communities especially in the inner city. Let's just be honest about that. We can take on a billion different examples, too, of this. And, but we're going to do this in the final clip a lot more because this kind of this encouragement toward pragmatism takes on, I think, a more important uh, place as French responds to Metaxas and the Metaxas responds to French at the end of their debate. By law, racial discrimination and bigotry, 56 years of contentious change does not erase that. And so when we see what we have seen with our own eyes, the declaration Black Lives Matter is something that needs desperately to be said in this culture and in this country. Does that mean as a pro-life Christian who supports religious liberty and families that I'm going to read the 
Black Lives Matter organization, this small organization that you can look up on the website and they have elements where they're against the nuclear family or they want to see a pardon for a cop killer and say, oh, French, you're for that. Please, y'all, seriously? Is that what we've come to? Is that if I'm going to say express uh, support for a movement that is demanding an end to, for example, grotesquely lawless police brutality, I now have to also raise my hand, but I'm still against cop killers and for the nuclear family. You know, that's what our discourse has become. Um, you know, the reason why I pointed out the alt-right and the reason why I've pointed out QAnon, you know, white evangelicals have not put, are not Antifa supporters. They're not, you know, uh, the formal BLM sub organization supporters, but they are supporting Donald Trump by overwhelming numbers. And guess what is in the movement? This movement that they have helped put in power is some of the most vile racist you can possibly imagine. I can tell you stories of what have hap has happened to my family. My youngest daughter is African-Americans. When we came out formally against Trump, my wife and I, in late 2015, early 2016, the vile racial attacks that came into my family at scale would boggle your mind. People, Trump supporters on Twitter took my daughter, she was seven years old at the time. They photoshopped her face into gas chambers. They photoshopped her face into slave fields. This was the alt-right that the CEO of the Trump campaign said he wanted his publication to be the platform for. So if I'm worried about that, I have good reason to be worried about. And spare me the idea that my concern about the alt-right or my concern about QAnon means I'm soft on Antifa. All right, Please. I, we, we are out of time, but I know Eric, you've been chomping at the bit. I just want to say Trump word. fired the man you're talking about. He fired him early in the administration, number one. Number two, where the heck is this fictional alt-right? Have they been looting? Have they been burning things? They are, such, they are such a tiny minority that comparing them to Antifa or to the BLM Marxist mobs who don't give a damn about actual black lives and who have horribly cynically, cynically, grab that phrase for their own purposes, they would have happily killed George Floyd if they thought it could give them power for their Marxist ideals. They don't care about blacks, and that's why I won't say Black Lives Matter if they demand it. I know Black Lives Matter, but they're going around and demanding it and using it as a slogan is turning people into suckers. They need to be rejected. They hate America. They hate everything Christians believe in. And anybody who hates everything Christians believe in and everything the founders believe in need to be rejected, including with including the alt-right or whoever else, but the idea that they would be compared seriously to what is going on in America right now as the whole country is burning is, is just amazing to me. The alt-right has killed far more people in the United States of America than Antifa. At the beginning of French's comments, he does something really interesting. So I want to kind of roll the tape back just to that, where he says, essentially, that just because I believe in the mantra or the movement Black Lives Matter, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I become somebody who supports rioting and looting or defunding the police. Don't lump me all into that same category. And then directly on the heels of that, David French lumps all people who support Donald Trump to the alt-right and to Q QAnon conspiracy theorists. I mean, it's very hypocritical. 
So he says, because the alt-right endorses Trump and not because Trump endorses the alt-right, that all of a sudden that means they are synonymous one with another. Uh, so I, I think that that's a false equivalency, needless to say, and this happens a lot in debates and you have to be really, really honest about it. But let's give in to the premise just a little bit and let's compare since David French wants to do that. And so I fact-checked his comment that uh, the alt-right is way more responsible for violence than Antifa and the, and the left. And according to far left radical, because I want to try to show you uh, here uh, that there's a way that you can just absolutely mess with the evidence. Far left guardian, they said this, that zero victims were killed in anti-fascist attacks since 1994. So zero people killed. And there were only 21 victims killed in left-wing violence since 2010. Now, there were 95 victims killed in jihadist attacks since 2010, 117 victims were killed in right-wing violence since 2010, and 329 victims killed in right-wing violence since 1994. Now, first things first, if we're going to include transgender shooters in kind of left-wing violence that's taken place since 2010, then this number 21 is totally a lie because it's way, way more than that. Uh, but even if we take the Guardian at face value and we, and we say, hey, you know, the total people killed, oh, it's only 21 in left-wing violence since 2010, but I mean, look at the right wing. They're killing 117 people in 14 years. That's what's going on. So um, all I can tell you about that first and foremost is that's just a holiday weekend in Chicago. Uh, in terms of those kind of death numbers. But I also have to tell you that it's also paltry compared to how many people are killed in abortion clinics every single day, not to mention every single year. According to the CDC, in 2021, under the Biden administration, there were over 600,000 legal abortions reported to the CDC from 48 reporting areas. And then Planned Parenthood themselves released this, that the Biden-Harris administration released its proposed budget for 2023. And wouldn't you know it, that Specifically, they propose $400 million to the Title X Family Planning Program and $653 million for international family planning and the UNFPA. In other words, they have given $400 million uh, nationally and globally over $600 million to abortion clinics. So if you're going to be pragmatic about this, especially as a pro-life Christian, there is only one choice that you can possibly make. And in this debate, I'll encourage you to go check the whole thing out. Um, the most dishonest thing throughout the whole debate is when finally David French is cornered on this specific idea that Joe Biden is a pro-abortion uh, candidate. And then he says, well, I'll just vote third party, which is the biggest dishonest cop out on the planet. So in other words, you're just going to vote in a way that doesn't matter at all. You may not like the two party system, but it's better than a one party system. And we don't have a three party system. So any third party vote or any vote outside of these two major candidates is just pointless. So forgive me if believing that all of that is a cop-out so that he can get away with his uh, moral purist claim that he's not going to vote for Donald Trump. 
if we're going to be honest with ourselves, there is going to be one candidate that wins at the end of the day, and it won't be some third-party person or somebody on the ballot. It's going to be Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And we have to live with that for the next four years. And to do that, you just have to be pragmatic as possible. You can excuse David French back in 2020 for not knowing what a disaster Joe Biden would be. But here we sit in 2024, and David French and his buddies are still up to the same kind of arguments. In the after party, as I showed last last week in my video on that subject, I'd highly encourage you to go check it out. Um, but he's also doing it in other capacities with his writing as he continues to critique the church and continues to critique conservatives for actually being willing to vote for Donald Trump. We don't live in 2020 anymore. We live in 2024. And Joe Biden or Donald Trump are going to win. And as we sit here in 2024 and grapple with that decision, we're hearing things like Biden just got exonerated from a charge for mishandling documents just like Donald Trump had done when he was president. And Biden did this when he was vice president, so he didn't have the kind of plenary authority that Trump does as president. And in that indictment, I'm sure you've all heard by now, that Biden was considered too old to stand trial too incompetent to be held culpable for his crimes. So if he's too old to stand a trial for his crimes, then he is too old to lead as president. Now, I don't know if he's going to actually make it to the ballot uh, in, at the end of 2024, but I can tell you this. Um, if he's too old, if he's been a disaster on foreign policy, if he's been a disaster at the border, if he's elected an assistant HHS secretary who is hell-bent on mutilating children, and I'll save you the laundry list of things. If he has been a complete disaster, then we really have only one moral choice. At the end of the day, I'm not a sophisticated voter. I am a one-issue voter. If you can convince me that you're going to stand up for the hundreds of thousands of babies that are murdered every single year in America, then you've got my vote just simply telling me that there are right-wing actors who have been stirred up by Donald Trump's rhetoric and hundreds of people may be killed in the next 10 years as a result of it. Listen, I'm concerned about that, but nowhere near as much. And by the way, you can't really even prove it. So if you really care about your witness in the public square as a Christian, and you think that voting for Donald Trump somehow will take that away, I would highly encourage you to think for yourself on that one and do not sell your soul for the sake of getting a couple brownie points with those on the left. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.